becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, stranger out of the It's a dream that you to make real. Passing those other songs. Glimmer, glimmer, of the ship being seen. Alright, welcome to the shores. To the chores. <laughs> to, to the chores. To the jorts. <laughs> it's the summer, you're wearing the jorts. <laughs> oh, that was a stumble. <laughs> well, that's what we do on the shores. We stumble around. That's true. Yeah. We kick over some fires and... That's what it's for. Yeah. Stumble into them a little bit. <laughs> Which I think we keep doing more and more. <laughs> you know, I kind of like it though. Yeah. Like as the form has devolved a little bit of this podcast, yeah, um, I feel like we've hit on more and more good things, mm-hmm. rather unexpectedly. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of uh, well. Even like tonight, we're going to talk about meaning. I think, mm-hmm. and I don't. I, I definitely we're going to try. We're going to try because I think there's some things that we're both working out in this area that. Um, it's like there's some really simple ways to talk about it, and I think. Uh, and that's, that's good and fine. But I think we're going to kind of go a little bit beyond that, the simplistic aspect of what meaning is. Cause I think there's some, there's some ways I could say like, like for me, it's like, I feel like life is full of meaning, hmm. you know, but what do I, what do I mean by that? Yeah. <laughs> what do I mean? <laughs> what do you that? mean by meaning? <laughs> exactly. It's, I think that to dive into that, um, and then even, or, or how for me in particular is how I've come up with that idea or perspective that, there is meaning in life, you know, and is that meaning that I create? Is it meaning that's embedded in life? Is it, how does, how does that work? You know, um, which I think there's probably a little bit of both and a lot of, I don't, I don't know. I think that's something to be interesting to kind of dive into. Well, it's like a, a really wonderful question. Mm-hmm. What is meaning and does it matter? Yeah. Does meaning <clears throat> matter? Mm-hmm. I, I think you could answer that somewhat philosophically, but I think we all behave as if it matters. Mm-hmm. We behave as if it's important. Yeah. Maybe the most important thing. Why, why would we behave that way? It's a really good question. I mean, man, I was going to say that. Why do we behave that? Why do we behave as, as if there is meaning or things, mm-hmm. things do matter? Yeah. It's like, is it part of our programming, part of our biology? Is it our instincts that, that, kind of lead us into that, that sort of protective base, you know, um, you know, individual, uh, immediate family, extended family, tribe, city state, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, how do you, you kind of have this inherent sort of protectiveness of those things that are close to you and that provides you stability whether it be food on the table, protection, roof over your head. Yeah. Why, why, why is that important to you? Yeah. Well, I mean, on a base level, there's a, there's definitely like a, uh, just a survival aspect to that, that, you know, but even you could go deeper though. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why, why is there a survival aspect? Why is, why is survival important? I think that would be the thing is there, there it's an instinctual aspect as like more of our animal part that, that we're almost driven by. Hmm. Like it's evolutionary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's the part of your brainstem 
that will pull your hand back from a hot stove before you're conscious of the fact that you're being burned. Mm -hmm. That's protecting you from dying. Totally. Or like if you're, you know, depending on how much in need you are, you're willing to go even further distances for, you know, if you haven't eaten in, in weeks or months or a month or two or something like that, you're more willing to steal or to even maybe cause harm to somebody else in order to satisfy yourself unless there's a higher principle that you have, you know, that you're, that but, you believe in or, or have like that causes you to fast or something. Yeah. It causes you to fast or that I will not cross this line because if I cross this line, uh, I could not live with myself. There's almost more of a psych, uh, a psychic, um, psychological aspect to it, you know? So I accept that there is something biological and evolved to survive, but I don't accept that that's the only reason survival is important. Mm. Like, again, I don't think we behave that way. Yes. We don't behave as if, well, our body's causing us to, to avoid death, but I could feel neither here nor there about it. Well, I I think there's that part where that's, it's, not like a Pavlov's hierarchy of needs, but maybe in that same sense as, you know, as you start to have your, your needs met, you, your, your problems kind of grow into more mature or existential, um, uh, well, but before we go there, yeah. I think there's something about survival, like having basic needs met that is mm-hmm. important like important to us. Mm-hmm. It's important not just because our brainstem doesn't want us to die. It's important to us because it matters. Like, I think we all feel, with exceptions, uh, probably, you know, um, you know, you could be affected by depression and there's, you know, nihilists exist. But mm-hmm. I would say in general, we all feel like it matters that we don't die. Like it matters to us deeply so much so that there's all of these aspects of our life that we just trust implicitly people's aversion to death. We trust our own lives with that. Mm -hmm. You know, like, um, I've given this example before, but just driving down the road, you're driving a two ton car down the road at 50 miles an hour separated by a nothing but a yellow line, a uh-huh. concept from another two ton vehicle that uh-huh. could kill you and all of your family. And you don't even ever think about it. Yeah. I mean, that's how strong the urge not to die is. Mm-hmm. You trust every single other person, any other random person to drive past you. Um, so it matters to us that we don't die and it matters because we have some maybe, <clears throat> maybe not very well developed sense, but we do have some sense that it means something that we, continue to live mm-hmm. or at least that's within the conversation we're having the hypothesis that I'm putting forward well just to kind of maybe push on that a little bit is this but in that in, again just more of an instinctual like survival instinct to uh, like in our in our culture like it's it's accepted that that yellow line provides that safety you know it's it is somewhat arbitrary but if someone starts crossing that yellow line then it's then then you have an instinctual like 
like just to preserve and save your life, you know, whether it be to swerve or to. Yeah. <clears throat> well, as I said, I'm accepting that the instinct mm-hmm. part of it, mm-hmm. but the instinct part of it doesn't account to me for the response I would accept or expect from anyone. Should I ask them, do you want to die today? Hmm. You know, I'm not engaging their instinct at that level True. of question. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine somebody saying doesn't matter to me or sure. Yeah, yeah. I would I'd like to die today. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like a hundred percent of the time people are going to say, no, I don't want to die today. Yeah. Why, why not? And that's where I think I'm trying to get to this, trying to get to an entry point into what meaning is. Mm-hmm. Because it does seem to, to, to sort of answer one of your previous or earlier questions, it does seem to be <coughs> at some level baked into existence. Yeah. This sense, it's almost a sense more than it is some, um, more than a thing. It's a sense, a sense of meaning. And we have it <coughs> and we can't really divorce ourselves from it. Well, it's interesting though. I mean, so even though we can't talk to dogs or monkeys or, you know, to some degree we can, you know, it's like how we communicate. There's, there's some communication in that, but they act as if they don't want to die tomorrow or today. Okay. So maybe that's a good, a good place to work this out a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's right. They do on the instinctual level. Yeah. Just like, I accept that we do also on the instinctual level, Mm -hmm. but you also, even if you could communicate with a dog, you know, or (laughs) if the dog could communicate with you Uh about such things, well, that's an impossible thing to propose because Mm -hmm. they can't. And the, and the very reason that they can't is the point here. Mm -hmm. They can't because they have no concept of the future in the way that we do as conscious beings. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, so the, the proposition there is that consciousness is best described, in my opinion, as the awareness of the future mm-hmm. and the awareness of your vulnerability and your mortality in that future. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that animals have that. They have instinctual awareness of vulnerability in the moment, but they don't plan, Yeah, you know. <clears throat> They don't plan to not die tomorrow. Yeah. And we do. I mean, even if there is, there is, I, I, I feel like I've kind of heard some talk on this before, but it's very, very limited as far as like what, uh, most animals are capable of doing. Right. Humans definitely demonstrate a greater capacity to plan for the future and, and have a concept of, uh, longevity. And, and so, so that really makes sense to me. I, um, but still, it still baffles me that that what is that once you get out of that sort of instinctual level to not die when like, you know, if, if uh, uh, <laughs> I saw a, a hippopotamus saved this, uh, this uh, antelope, it didn't really like save it, but it was like, it, it kind of did, you know, it's like I'm, I'm attributing, you know, action or motive to the to hippopotamus. Mm-hmm. Uh, from these wolves and it fell into the mud and then the hippopotamus threw it back up on shore 
and the wolves come back at it and the antelope goes back into the mud and then the hippopotamus devours the antelope. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I can't save you, I guess I'll eat you. Yeah, it was just, it was just really, it's like you saw this will to like live, you know, it's like, and to escape, you know. Yeah, but I'd be tempted to say that's you projecting your own exactly. consciousness uh-huh. onto what appears to be behavior that you recognize. Exactly. No, I, I, I totally admit that. But it was yeah. just it was just a crazy scene to see this hippopotamus sort of like throw the antelope back up on the shore where the where the wolves are, and obviously the antelope goes back into the mud. And it was just sort of like almost like you could like again assigning motives. The, mm-hmm. the hippopotamus is like, ah, oh, fuck it. <laughs> it just tears the antelope apart. You're like it really was like, I was like, again, this is not, you know, possible, but I was just like, what are they, what are they thinking? Mm-hmm. Like, what was it thinking when it just sort of, was it just an accident? It threw it up on, onto the, out mm-hmm. of the mud. Cause it was going to die in the mud too. You know, it was like, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, that raises another, that's another term that in the mm-hmm. context of this conversation deserves some definition. Mm-hmm. Like when you say, what are they thinking? Yeah. Well, what is thinking? Mm-hmm. I think, we generally conceptualize of thinking as some sort of conversation that you have with yourself in your head, mm-hmm. which requires the ability to articulate, mm-hmm. which requires language. But there is another sort of thinking that doesn't require language. That's more about um, patterns of feeling, emotion, response to instinct, things like that. And I think animals probably do have they they think in that way Mm -hmm. but they don't think in the way that you and i can think from this sort of perch of observation outside of yourself Mm -hmm. where you can you can look and observe yourself and then make observations and statements and then refine those statements Mm -hmm. so i think that in that way, the hippopotamus isn't really thinking all that much at all. Mm-hmm. You know, at least not in the terms that we would generally ascribe to the definition of thinking. Yeah. But, but I think there's something similar with the concept of meaning. I mean, it isn't that an animal doesn't have a con- doesn't behave as if it means something that it lives rather than dies. Um, but it also doesn't have a concept of, well, can I abstract that into something higher in which I can then generate meaning? Mm-hmm. So back to your first proposition, is, is, is meaning something that's just embedded in being or is it something that you can create? And there's something about consciousness that I would argue allows us to not only observe the meaning of something like living and wonder what that might why that might matter Mm -hmm. and then propose to ourselves that it does matter beyond the nerves sort of firing in our body that has allowed our species to progress Mm -hmm. and propagate over the last several million years or whatever. Um, But then, then to, to wonder what that might be and then wonder how to maximize it Mm -hmm. and how to then not only not die, whatever that is, the meaning that's preventing us from dying, p- 
push that onto the other side of the equation, push that into the life side and say, can that be maximized in life? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the question of like, do you want to die today? And the answer for everyone is no. Mm -hmm. And then if, if the question is posed, well, why? That's where we get into this creation of meaning thing. Mm -hmm. Well, why? Because it matters that I live. Why does it matter that I live? Because I have things to do. Why does it matter you do those things? Because it's important for me to develop myself. It's important. I have things to say, things to do, things to do that matter. They mean something. Mm -hmm. And this is beyond not dying somehow. Well, I think this kind of gets into the problem too, because like, uh, this is, you know, if there, if there is no like sort of, uh, meaning outside of our creation, that's the problem. I have a hard time with that because, <clears throat> um, cause to be intellectually honest, to say that, um, there is meanings like this means something for me to live. Uh, it's like, you have to, it's like you, you can't just stop at that statement as far as that. There's no, there's no meaning. Um, there's no like sort of like, I hate to say the word, but ultimate meaning or something that is exists outside of ourselves that provides a structure. I mean, you can, you can call it God or, or whatever it might be, but something that is, uh, that's like, I guess the one thing I think of, like I've always thought about, uh, it kind of helped me in, in philosophy, uh, when I was in school is a sort of like, like you and I are having this conversation on the shores, you know, the shores of ignorance, you know, and, and the truth doesn't really depend on us. Like we're looking out there we're saying, here's what I see. And you're saying, and you're like, well, this is what I see, but we're referencing something outside of ourselves. And it's not that it has anything to do with you or has anything to do with me, but we're both trying to understand what that thing is. But if you, if you don't say that there is, there is something out there, then you really have to be intellectually honest and that I'm just trying to convince you of my truth or what I believe is true. And then it becomes more about me and you and either you and I working together to develop something to then convince everybody else about. Um, but if it, I, I just see it, oh, I don't know how to, I, I guess I find it a lot more useful to see it as something that's outside of us and that we're both discovering and talking about. And that we can actually disagree with each other, but it doesn't, it doesn't affect the thing that's outside of ourselves. So that's kind of how I see meaning is something that is actually there outside of ourselves that we can discuss. And both of us are probably wrong to some degree or another about what that is, you know, hmm. and maybe at some point, at some degree we're, we're correct or more, more correct about it. So there's a couple of things, I think a couple of big topics that mm -hmm. you hinted at there. One would be, um, ultimate meaning. Mm -hmm. Another would be, um, is there such thing as an objective world? Yeah. Um, and then the third is meaning as objective mm -hmm. rather than subjective. Mm -hmm. Like I could definitely, I, I definitely will go with my understanding of meaning is subjective. 
but it's subjective. It's a subjective understanding of a, of an objective um, of something which exists ob- objectively. It, yeah, outside which, of myself, which we can gather around and look at mm-hmm. and describe imperfectly and see differently. Mm-hmm. But ult- but ideally, the more we gather and see and talk, the more we form a fully shared picture of what that objective thing might actually be and look like. Totally. So that would be meaning as objective Mm -hmm. and that you progress toward. And meaning as subjective, as far as my experience of Mm -hmm. that objective meaning. Hmm. We kind of, uh, fast forwarded, a, do we get a bit? Well, I, I think I want to do that. I, I kind of did that sort of on purpose, on yeah. accident, really. But because um, I feel like you, you, it's like you, you build, you build these structures from two sides. Yeah. One is from the the chaos, and one is from the order. Mm-hmm. And so, like uh, on the order side of things, is the is the evolutionary aspect of it that we can kind of like sort of map these things up through like amoeba to humans humans and how humans are different and we can go through all the biological aspects of things but then there's a sort of like macro side or or chaos side that's out out and beyond our understanding and it's like most of the uh you know how societies formed and moved through time a lot of it had to do with what was more of that, the chaos side of it is how they approached the chaos because, you know, in a lot of the things where they did were, you know, create these structures of like gods or, um, uh, religious things to help them deal with the unknown, the chaos. And there's a lot of talk about how that also helped us in our brain developments and, mm-hmm. and back on the order side of things. But I, I feel like you can't get away from that. If you, if you strip one side from the other, but it's almost like you, you build these two bridges that will never meet. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And one's from one's from order, one's from chaos. But you will ne- those bridges will never meet. And so a lot, a lot of times you'll hear people say it's a leap of faith to jump from one to the other, right? You know, and which I don't really like that terminology, but I, I, that's one way to look at that. Or yeah, there, or I mean, there is a, one side or the other of that fence. There is a. I don't know if I want to say like philosophical or theoretical problem that mm-hmm. you're presented with there, because you can build up a theory of meaning from, from the subjective, mm-hmm. um, or you can, <clears throat> you can build it from the far end toward yourself, mm-hmm. you know? So like, to your point, like <clears throat> if you're engaging in, in a lot of chaos, it is helpful to, to put, Myth, myths into place, hmm. which <clears throat> put some boundaries on the chaos. Yeah. Some structure. Mm-hmm. Um, a- another example might be go out to West Texas on, you know, a night when the moon is not there and look up into the stars and you will be overwhelmed with a sense of meaning, mm-hmm. a very, a very ill-defined one. I mean, you are in awe you feel small um, and you can build, as you said, it's like you can build from that far end backwards towards you, but that's not going to meet your subjective sense. Mm-hmm. 
And so there's a gap there. And as our society is more and more ordered, our understanding of the universe seems to be more and more profound. It's easy to start dismissing the sense or, or definition of meaning that's built from the far end in mm -hmm. as, well, we don't need that anymore. We don't yeah. need the myths. We don't need the, you know, look up into the heavens. We don't even need to call them heavens anymore. We can just call them the cosmos. Mm -hmm. We don't need that anymore. Um, there's a problem with that, which is difficult. But I would propose that you actually can account for all of that by building a sense of meaning from the inside out, hmm. like from yourself into the far end. How so? I'm not sure if I follow. Well, by simply asking some simple questions and then scaling the answers over, um, over distant, over size and over time. Okay. Okay. I've got a so I, so if we start with the proposition that, you know, does it, do you want to die? No. Why? You know, why does it matter to you that you don't? Well, it means something that I live. Well, what does it mean? And then you can come up with some maybe shaky answers to all of that, that you can't defend very well, but, but we've established the point that there is such a thing as meaning, at least that's the, the, presupposition that I'm coming, that I'm going from is that there is such a thing as meaning and that you can maximize it to some degree. Mm -hmm. Well, how much could you maximize it? How much meaning could there be if you maximized it and I maximized it and our coworkers and our family, our city, you know, you can scale this in the meaning itself. You can scale it through communities, and then you can scale it over time, mm -hmm. over years, over generations. Well, how big does that get? And how good do things get if you're, if you are to imagine that that's possible? And I, I think that starts to sort of get to the heart of something that, well, it's, it's C.S. Lewis calls it the in, inconsolable secret. Mm -hmm. It's like, we feel like, how does he say it? The secret you you cannot tell and cannot hide. Mm -hmm. It's, but it's simultaneously obvious and yet you can't tell it. It remains a secret. And I think that scaling these things up and over time, if you are to attempt to describe what the outcome would be, you have bridged the gap into what can only be described in mythological or religious terms. Well, you even see with our, our conversation about a year and a half ago, we talked about Brett and Brett Weinstein's and um, uh, Sam Harris's conversation. You know, mm. it's like about free will, about free will. And, you know, Sam makes this jump because he's more of a deterministic um, viewpoint of life where, you know, everything is determined uh, on a biological chemistry level. Mm. But then he always makes these comments about how you can stand outside of yourself or how meditation's important. It's like, well, in that, in that regard, it's like, no, it's not. If it's all determined, it, it doesn't really matter. And you cannot stand outside yourself. Mm -hmm. So even he reaches for something that is outside of time and space or biology 
to to give meaning you know it's like he, his meaning is almost in the observation of his deterministic self right you know that's that's you see he, he ha, there's there's a meaning he develops in that you know um so i find that i find that no matter just to be intellectually honest it's like you you run into these these problems kind of like where you know eric says like if you quit asking why if you don't quit asking why you end up in physics and i feel like there's also that aspect too is if you if you don't quit asking why you end up religious of some sort yeah because i th- i think physics kind of symbolizes is a, is more of a modern way to culturally say the same thing almost mm-hmm. <laughs> well it's interesting it's so this construct of like there's two different ways to approach something mm-hmm. and it's difficult for them to bridge so you could look at the well sort of the 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 principal presupposition of our society which is that um man is created in the image of god mm-hmm. there's something divine in the individual and so the society will be built around that mm-hmm. and you could look at that and say well yeah they set it up that way because they came from a judeo christian background and that's what was dictated that's what they believed mm-hmm. um and so it was set up that way or you could say that that is an, an emergent functional observation about how it is that humans become the best that they can be. It's an, it's an observation of this is how things seem to work the mm. best. Yeah. And maybe it's both at the same time. But I think to dismiss it, or to dismiss anything on on religious terms, to say, I, well, I, I I reject your presupposition because of where because it's associated with something religious. Mm-hmm. I think the, the problem is maybe, and I would guess that this is true, is that if you play that out, you say, okay, we're going to throw that away because. It's associated with something we've decided we don't need anymore. We don't need God anymore. We don't need religion anymore. So we're going to throw away that presupposition. We're going to try something different. And then you, whatever that different thing is, um, you iterate that over time. And I I suspect you end up back at the same place. Mm -hmm. And it may take hundreds of years, but you end up back in the same place because my suspicion is that that is an emergent, um, what is it? An, an emergent rule that comes from trying to make things the best that they could be. Well, it's almost an emergent property of life itself because there is this ebb and flow between, um, and I think it's more prevalent today because of science Oh, even when I said that, I just heard all these people believe in science. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> science is a process in the way that you observe. We should, yeah, we should get into the, well, finish your thought. I don't know if I, I think I derailed myself, <laughs> but, but there's a, there's a sort of like ebb and flow throughout time. And I think it's, it's looked differently. Um, and I think it was, it was dealt with more in a religious way early. Um, but then I think with the Greeks and the Romans, you kind of saw, this um, 
kind of emerged more that the scientific aspect of it, the, the orderly aspect and the chaos out of the chaos, you know? Um, but today I think you see it really a lot more prevalent as sort of like this idea, like, like science is this thing that is solid and unmovable. And it's been fascinating to look at that is like most of the things that we've discovered in science are come from intuition and then we reason backwards. Like we intuit something like, mm. Oh man, this, this must act this way. Well, let me go look and see if it does act that way. And so, but for some reason it's like we've put more stock in our explanations of something that are always temporary until we learn something new and intuit something else, you know? But it seems like the real discovery is in the intuition and in the, the, the mythology, the, I'm going to create a story that then I will go back and test and see what parts are true and what parts are not true. You know, I mean, you you can take this all the way back to (laughs) make believe world where you have to sacrifice your, uh, youngest daughter to the volcano gods and, (laughs) and it won't blow up. You know, it's like at some point after you've sacrificed so many of your young daughters to the volcano and it doesn't matter, you're like, well, let's try something different. (laughs) You know, it's like, I feel like we're still doing that and and we call it science today. Mm -hmm. You know, it's Mm like, um, and, and there's been a lot of discoveries throughout time in that same almost scientific, um, I, a mindset, I would say is more developed. I think that's something that we're, we're losing is the, is the emphasis on intuition or mythology or the unknown aspect of mm-hmm. that. So I wish, um, we had Brett Weinstein on the podcast right now because I'm going to make a statement <laughs> and I don't know if it's, <laughs> if it's right or not, but uh-huh. I think, I think to your point, like that we have this idea in modern culture that science is solid. Mm-hmm. Science tells us what's true. Yeah. I'm not sure how we developed the the hubris to say something like that, but mm-hmm. it does seem hubristic to me. And I think that actually it's wrong. Yeah. Like, I don't think that science tells us what's true. Mm-hmm. Science tells us what's false. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And whatever hypotheses that you put onto the table that you can't falsify those become the theory mm-hmm. and that's what science does is it, it roots out what is falsifiable. Mm-hmm. And so does that mean that it's true? Well, now you get into one of these other problems with definition, like what is true? What does true mean? And we tend to take science as, well, science tells us what's, ob- what's objectively true mm-hmm. and it's obvious once science tells it to us. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, we're, we, we put ourselves at danger by thinking that way. Well, even thinking like just elementary aspects of it too. It's like, there's many things that, that you and I don't question that many people questioned, uh, you know, 400 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that we've just kind of accepted, but it wasn't known to those people four or 500 years ago. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it, it can be argued as all the way, you know, uh, I forgot who it was before Galileo that, uh, 
the earth revolved around the sun. There was somebody else too, but, uh, but at some point that became common knowledge or experience, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, but most people that figure out what seem like simple, obvious things to us now, mm -hmm. when they first propose it are run out of town as heretics. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Which, which there's probably some of that happening today too. (laughs) Yeah. No, there, there definitely is. Uh Uh, quite a bit of it. <laughs> so as we become more developed, it's like those things that are, that are out there are kind of almost, they still exist in the realm of mythology. Um, and if we do away with that, um, I think that we will kind of almost de de-evolve that if we get rid of that intuitive and mythological, um, <laughs> part of our hmm. existence, you know, like, which is easily encapsulated in that, you know, there is a God, you know, that has created all these things. So there's a structure and order to the world. So there's something for me to go out and to explore and that there is order. There's almost kind of like a promised order in the world. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's something that has been proven over and over, but it's been through, uh, for lack of a better word, a mythological landscape that I'm going to act in this world as if there is a God who has created order because once you start taking that away, then you're, you're, you're acting from, uh, you're acting from again, the, the ordered world and working out. So you're making incremental changes because you're, you don't have the, the breadth or the, um, or the intuitive aspect of something greater than yourself. And I think people do this in different, at different levels, but I think that is one of the greatest level is, is to have like a concept of something like God or something like that. Hmm. Yeah. I suspect, well, I don't suspect it's not my suspicion. I mean, many <laughs> greater people than myself. I don't know about that. <laughs> have been saying this for quite some time that I, I don't think that, <clears throat> humans can get along without, I don't exactly mean get along, like be cooperative with one another. I mean, like move positively into the future as individuals or as communities and civilizations without, without the concept, the large bucket concept of God, to your point, Mm. the idea that there is something greater than yourself. Like if you kill that off, then what orients your, what orients your ethics? Mm -hmm. What orient, what, what, what prescribes your values? Yeah, I think that's a, I think it's a difficult, it's like, I'm I'm hearing like just in my head, like just the different people's uh, rebuttals to that. Yeah. So rebut that. Well, One is, is that that was a very primitive view of things. And now that we have a certain general structure on how we should treat each other, that even though the golden rule is, uh, love your brother as yourself, you know, um, which, which in just a Judeo Christian perspective, um, leaves out the, the first and primary one is, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind, with all your soul. So that, that kind of takes on the, 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 the highest value. 
And in reference to that, you love your brother as yourself, but it's in reference to a higher value. So we've kind of gotten rid of that. And it's like, you kind of have, we've kind of gotten this sort of idea of like, love your brother as yourself, you know, sister, you know, other person. Um, but we have no reference to what that means and how we define that. It's like, you know, or, or why you would do that or why you would do that. Yeah. It's like, it's like, and then, and then again, it's like, even in the, the parable, it's like, who is my brother? You know, they, um, that's, that's a question that's asked of, of Jesus, you know, it's like, <clears throat> and you know, it's like your enemy is your brother. So there's even this like sort of like connection to something that's other that you're maybe even opposed to, but it brings connection to even those that you would disagree with. And so if you don't, it's like everyone will substitute that idea. Cause I think that idea is so embedded in us for another God, another mythology. And no matter how scientific air quotes <laughs> you think you are, it's like you substitute that idea with something. Well, that's why I say, I don't think you can get along without it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and why maybe I said, you know, the, the bucket category of God, I mean, you can put the Christian God there or you can substitute it with something else, but mm-hmm. you're going to have to substitute it. Mm-hmm. I think because there are things which are obvious. I mean, so you have the, um, let's say the emergent, the, the parable of, uh, who is my brother? Well, mm-hmm. your enemy is your brother. Mm-hmm. Why? Like, why would, let's say the story means nothing and that the Christian God doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So the story emerged and I think we all sort of agree. Hey, yeah, that would be a good thing to do, mm-hmm. but we don't really need the God thing in order for that to be good. Okay. It's a good thing to do. Well, why is it a good thing to do? Well, because even if you are at war with your enemy, there is benefit in doing that honorably. Mm. Why? I don't know, but I know that when I read stories, the honorable opponent who has the chance, I'm, I'm reminded of um, the movie Troy uh-huh. uh, with Brad, Brad uh-huh. Pitt plays that, plays that like, you know, super well, badass. Super, yeah, uh, he's, he's Brad Pitt. I mean, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, but so, uh, Brad Pitt's character fights the son of the King of Troy. Yeah. Just the two of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, out in front of the gate and Brad Pitt completely slays him and then ties his feet up and drags his body back to his camp. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of the night, the King mm-hmm. under like cloak sneaks into the enemy's camp goes to Brad Pitt and the King's old Brad Pitt's, you know, the biggest badass there is <laughs> a strapping young youth. <laughs> yeah. And basically says, I want my son's body. Mm-hmm. And Brad Pitt says, okay. And you won't be harmed on your way out. And he takes the body. He's honorable. These are opponents. They are at war. Brad Pitt could have ended the war then and there by killing the King. Why didn't he, mm-hmm. you know, well, I don't know, but I know there's something compelling about that story that makes it a story worth telling. Mm. It's a story that, back to meaning, it means something. What does it mean? I don't know, but I'm compelled by it. And mm. I want to watch it and I want to think about it. Well, you go back to like, you know, because that, that theme runs through every society. So <clears throat> uh, there's also this aspect of there's honor among three, a thief, honor among thieves. So 
there, there's some sort of like, in order for us to engage each other, there's something that we have to, um, and it's easier to look at thieves rather than like people that maybe are like, I, for lack of a better term, more honorable, you know, but among thieves, they have these rules and ways that they will respect each other and even their enemies that provides a stability to the group as a whole to be cohesive. Uh, because if you lose that cohesiveness of some sort of honor, you know, even if it's a lesser, a lesser honor, uh, you just end up in chaos. You know, it's like, I think that's where the Joker is the, is the most, uh, is the best example of this idea is sort of like everyone that he's a with or part of has some sort of code or honor that they abide by, but the Joker abides by no honor and no code. Mm-hmm. Like he just wants the whole world to burn. That and includes, that's why he's so chilling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like even those who are with him, yeah. they, so, they somewhat are sort of appalled or even sort of like taken aback by, right. oh, wow. Like you're not even, we're not even a group. Like you're, you're outside the group. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, but that they've circled themselves around him. Right. Well, I think that's, that's the, the crazy thing is that you see this thing emerge mm-hmm. no matter what the sort of set of ethics that you start from is. Mm-hmm. You see concepts of honor emerge. You see concepts of, um, well, like brotherhood mm-hmm. emerge. And just like you said, if, as Eric Weinstein said, if you, know, if, you, if you never stop asking why you end up in theoretical physics, I think of behavioral psychology, if you never stop asking why, you end up somewhere religious because there's no limit to, well, there's no limit to the size of the meaning that could be extrapolated. Mm-hmm. There's no limit to the... <clears throat> to the impact of honor. Mm-hmm. And in order to describe that, to articulate it, you have to use terms that become symbolic. And you have to say something like, you know, why would the two thieves consider each other brothers? You know, mm-hmm. why does it matter that you treat your neighbor as your brother? Mm-hmm. Maybe better asked, why would two thieves consider each other brothers? Mm-hmm. Um, or cohorts or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I just, I, I derailed my train of thought there. I just think that if you ask, if you keep asking that question of why, oh, you, you end up with some concept of, that's what it was. Why would two thieves be brothers? Because they recognize that there's something divine in each other. And well, what does that mean? Divine. What is divine? It's so you come up with this concept of something outside of yourself, which is greater than you, which you are like, and you could be, and it's worth honoring, even though you're a piece of shit. And so maybe back to the previous statement that maybe this is emergent. It's mm-hmm. emergent of observed behaviors. And why do we behave this way? I think we behave this way because that ends up being what's meaningful. 
if not what's most functional, at least what is meaningful. Because there is meaning even in the, in the den of thieves. And mm-hmm. there is meaning even in the thick of war. And that meaning is found through recognizing the indescribable divine in each individual. And now, and now you're getting dangerously close to using words like God. Mm. And this is why I don't think you can really get along without that. Mm-hmm. Especially when you start thinking about the perversions, you know, it's like, uh, you know, the chaos, you know, you have, uh, you have the Joker, you know, on the order side, you have Thanos, you know, it's like this mm-hmm. idea of, mm-hmm. and both are villains, both are villains. Yeah. And however, there's just something that there's an objective, uh, reality or meaning outside of ourselves that we're, cause if you try to objectify it or objectify it from our subjective <laughs> experience, you do have this sort of like totalitarian rule following. Mm. I know what's best. Um, but you might, you might have this sort of omniscient sort of, uh, or, or seemingly omniscient, uh, perspective for everybody and how things should be, you know, it's like, um, but then on the other side is like, you have the, um, Oh shit. I just totally lost my thought on that. Is it that, that the other side of that is that how things should be is not reachable and thus everything must be destroyed Mm -hmm. in, in vengeance. Yeah. Against against the, unattainable ideal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 I was trying, I'm go, I was going for that, the tension between the order and chaos, as far as meaning is, con- is concerned, because like, uh, it's like once we, inv- once we like, uh, personalize or, uh, take on that as, as our, as, as our, the individual as the arbitrary of truth or their truth or, their subjective truth onto somebody else or everybody else. It's like, you kind of end up into either two camps. It's like, that's kind of like the ultimate, uh, 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 ultimate path to where those two things belong. When we talk about, uh, if everything is subjective, uh, because on one side is one is like, nothing has meaning. And one is like, I'm going to create the order that I see in the world when you, when you're in that middle space of like that tension between there's something, it's actually something outside of ourselves that we're trying to understand that somewhere in between this sort of, uh, subjective experience of something that is completely unknown and the subjective experience of something that is tangible and ordered and good, you know? Um, I think I'm reaching way too far right now. (laughs) 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 <laughs> I just, I just started like thinking like, Oh man, that's a lot of word salad there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, it makes me think of something Victor Frankl said in man's search for meaning about mm. how, how we live something about how we live in tension between the way things are and the way things could be. Mm. And that's sort of uh, like, you can't get outside of that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, you know, if you are too, if there's not enough tension mm-hmm. 
your life becomes tyrannical, mm -hmm. whether at your own hand or someone else's. And if you live too much in what could be, but isn't, well, you're insane probably. Mm. Oh, true. You know, and you, and you stop being able to really communicate with anybody because they can't understand anything you're saying because it's too divorced from reality. Mm. So you, so a healthy individual, a healthy person lives in a healthy tension between what is and what could be. Mm -hmm. Um, I was having a conversation with somebody recently about art and, and how necessary it is for profound artists to be able to communicate the art because something about there was some, uh, put some meat on this. A good friend of mine who's a, a music producer said to me once that um, really great artists have the unique ability to go deep into the darkness mm. and then come back with a story to tell. Mm. And there's like three really important ingredients to that, that statement. One is the ability to go into the darkness. Mm. I mean, let's maybe swap darkness with chaos. Yeah. You go into the chaos. Not everyone can do that. A good artist can, or is, or is willing to, not everyone's willing to, Yeah, because it's in a lot of ways, horrific and terrifying. And <clears throat> so to be able to go into it is one thing to be able to come back out of it <laughs> is another thing. I mean, some people can go in and they come back out and they're never the same. Mm -hmm. They're lost. It's infected them. Mm hmm but to be able to come back out with a story to tell implies that I had that experience, but I'm still in, I was able to come back intact enough that I can communicate with you. I can tell a story. That word story to me implies that it, it can be understood. It can mm -hmm. be received. So I'm still speaking your language. Mm -hmm. I can come back and tell a story. So the importance of being able to retain the ability to communicate and to hone the ability to communicate after having encountered what is incommunicable and what is potentially so disarraying that you might not come back at all. Mm. So I don't know what the so is. <laughs> well, you made me think of like, it's like if we're always dealing in the known, you know, and I, I, I use that very light, lightly. It's like your life is very dull. There's nothing, there's nothing to you. It's like, there's, it's like, basically I'm just going to be a, a robot that walks through life that does the things that are the safest, the smartest, uh, the, the most, um, most proven, and I'm not going to do anything crazy or take risks. You know, it's like, there's a real dullness to that, that, that kind of mm -hmm, sucks the mm -hmm. life out of you. Um, it's like, if you don't venture into the unknown and push that, that there's going to be a dissatisfaction of life that, uh, I think is, is pretty prevalent. I mean, I think even more so in our current day, because there's so many things that are available to us to sort of numb us from actually, 
stepping into the chaos, the unknown. And you're seeing this a lot of in, in on campuses right now, as far as like controversial statements, trying to um, be, you know, it's like, Hey, this information is going to be harmful to you. You know, it's like, it's like, no, that's what we need. We <laughs> need information that's harmful to us because it shakes us out of our well norms. Let me riff on that for a second. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say, I don't think any of these are my own ideas, but mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> there's something about, well, it took me a while to understand this. I think it was Robert Breedlove said that pain is information. Mm. Yeah. And, and so that's what makes that statement. Um, you're going to be hurt by this, so you should avoid it. Yeah. So non, well, so counterproductive. Mm-hmm. When I, I think you're talking about like, if you're living, how did you say it? If you're, if you're living um, too much in structure, it's dull. Mm-hmm. I think another way to put that is that if you're living in complete comfort, mm-hmm. it's boring. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's needed. Yes. And fortunate that we can maybe even have that at right. times. Yeah. But even the concept of discomfort is simply new information. Mm-hmm. Something unexpected happened. It's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is comfort? Comfort is known. Comfort is no new information. Mm-hmm. Comfort is, I don't have to deal with any input. Everything's known. Everything's expected. Discomfort would be something new comes in. Well, that's information. It's mm-hmm. painful. Information, I think, is new information. I, I, I think is inherently painful mm-hmm. because it changes something. Something changes yeah. in your surroundings or maybe in you. And that that's what hurts. Mm-hmm. And so when we protect ourselves from pain, we also protect ourselves from information. We protect ourselves from anything new. And thus we protect ourselves from ever, well, becoming what we could be. Mm-hmm. Because we have this sense that we aren't who we could be. That there is someone that we could be that we aren't. Which I think is like the the initial observation that again, if you ask why enough mm-hmm. you, and you scale that over space and time, starts getting you to these concepts of God again. Mm-hmm. Because, well, who could you be? It's almost like there's no other concept that's more beneficial than that concept of God. Yeah. And I think it's unavoidable. I think you work Mm -hmm. your way back to it every time you cut it off. Yeah. At some point, at some point, if you're intellectually honest, yeah, if you're intellectually honest, because at some point you're like, okay, that's enough. Now I won't, I won't go any further. And I feel like that's like a, because I mean, again, when you, when you, when you talk about this concept of God, it's like, it's like there's an order and chaos that's bound up in a way that is unimaginable and un, unpenetrable. However, at the same time, there's a subjective experience of it that you're able to sort of like glean from and sort of like, kind of like uh, in religious language again is grow closer to mm. through the process of untangling but there's always the, there's always the understanding that you will, you will never be able to untangle this mess. Mm -hmm. Like there is no final 
Like, I've arrived. We have arrived. Well, at least not an imaginable one. Mm-hmm. That's the thing is that's, that's the outer limits of what is imaginable. Mm-hmm. You know, your imagination only gets so far, mm-hmm. but even at the farthest end, it still suggests that there's more. Mm-hmm. And that's when the religious language has to take over mm-hmm. as a placeholder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a lot of times people will talk about the God of the gaps. Like we can explain all these things and then God just sort of fills in the, and then at some point that circle grows bigger. Those things that God, there was a place where God mm-hmm. filled out those mm-hmm. gaps now we can explain those things. Don't need God anymore. You don't need God anymore. It's like, but then it's, it's this never ending. But there's I, always more gaps. I remember my professor, uh, and philosophy, he's a husband and wife, really great. I lo- really love them, but he was always, he, 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 he was kind of banging on about the, the God <laughs> of the gaps. And I was just like, well, it really never ends. So it's like, like, so are you saying that, everything is ordered. So again, it's like being intellectually honest. It's like everything is explained. You kind of head more into this deterministic aspect. And so it doesn't really matter because it's already determined. So it's like, that's the, that's the faith part that you're, you're, you're giving into. If you're going to, um, if you're going to go that route, that everything has a predetermined, um, Hmm. uh, linear sort of, you know, chemistry, biological, if you knew all the, all the atoms in the world, then you could pre, you could basically just plan out what was going to happen for the next million, billion years. Well, as Eric Weinstein would say, if you had the source code to the universe, if you Mm -hmm. had root access. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like, it's sort of like you're settling for one side or the other. It's like, sort of like we can explain all these things or there's always going to be something that we cannot explain. And, and uh, it seems like there's, uh, hold on. I'm, 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 I'm conflating two different things here. Cause I don't think you can really, I think you can have both at the same time as one is that there is an explanation all the way out, but our comprehension and understanding of that is so is, is will always be limited. <clears throat> and the other, but I think they, they, I think that lives in that tension. Well, that's, what's so strange to me is I don't know that we have any concept of how to exist outside of tension. Mm -hmm. Like the concept of universal resolve. Yeah. Of like, we understand becoming, Mm -hmm. we don't understand became, Oh yeah. Without the concept of death. Well, even at the concept of death is like, there's no, like, what does it mean to be mm-hmm. like becoming and to be? That's my point. Yeah. yeah. No, we don't know what it means to be mm-hmm. like whatever for some process to be done. Mm-hmm. I don't think we can even f- think in those terms. Mm hmm. My brain feels very stretched. <laughs> well, I think that's the, I think that's where the compasses of God comes into is very helpful is because that is that that is the ultimate expression of that becoming and to be like, like that concept encompasses both of those things mm-hmm. becoming and being. And, 
and then we see ourselves experiencing an aspect of that becoming and being, but we also understand and see that in comparison to something that is both becoming and being in an ultimate sense that we will always be lacking compared to that, that, um, standard or that, um, measuring pole. <laughs> right. Until we're not. Until we're not. Mm-hmm. Which that's, that's the hope. That's the faith of the Christian religion. Well, I don't think it is. Either. I don't think it's that. I mean, I don't think there's that, like, like, I guess in the Christian religion, it's like to be, to be known as I am fully known. It's like, what does that mean? I, I would imagine in, in that context that it's a, it's it, there's still a becomingness of that because like, how could you, I, there's, it's, you, Oh, I may have gone way too into the, the weeds on this one. <laughs> I did watch, <laughs> uh, I don't want to go there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, maybe it's a good place maybe to wrap good, it. I think we're both out yeah, of yeah. like, my brain's going to all kinds of concepts of time and <laughs> outside of time. And if you're outside, it's like uh-huh. consciousness is outside of itself. And what does it mean to be outside of time? You know what? Let's just cheers and say, thanks well, for coming to the shores with us. <laughs> well, one thing though, is like, it's like, even like it talks about, uh, I, was, I was reading, I uh, started possibly maybe I'll uh, doing calculus and like calculus and uh, physics are all determined on the continuity of space and time. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, like, what does that even mean? And like where it breaks down, it's like, there's a sort of like, again, I'm speaking out of my ass because this is something that's really fascinating to me is like, is like, we understand space and time to a certain degree, you know, th- throughout history. And I think there's some things that we have yet to stumble upon that if we don't have imagination and scientists that, that push into that unknown part, like not being so strict Mm -hmm. in their, in their thinking of mythology and religious ideas, I think it's going to be really stifling. And, and Brent Weinstein made this comment to, uh, Richard Dawkins that, that evolutionary biology has sort of taken a sort of like a, it's just sort of stopped. It became kind of dogmatic. Dogmatic, yeah. It's like with with sort of the memes and the genes, uh, 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 oh shoot, what was his first book ever? Yeah, it's like it was in the '60s that sort of like evolutionary biology sort of just kind of like plateaued, you know. And hmm. and some people's perspective on it is like, yeah, well, now it's just kind of working out the details. Like we've kind of got it all. And which can't be true. Which can't be true, yeah. Well, that's the hubris of science, yeah. <laughs> at least in the modern age. Uh-huh. I think we need the heretics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bring on the heretics. Bring on the heretics. Push the boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers to the shores. <laughs> Take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. That was pretty rough. <laughs>